0: In 1 Samuel 15, we have Saul's commission to utterly destroy the Amalekites, his disobedience, and its reproval with his rejection as king. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 1. And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman infant, and suckling, ox, and sheep, camel, and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, and Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel arose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set him up a place, and has gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord appointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, And have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and thy words, because I feared the people, and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word, profitable for us, 1 Samuel 15. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 6 of this chapter, we have Saul's divinely inspired commission to utterly destroy the Amalekites and the preparations Saul made for this mission. Samuel Also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. Here now, Saul has been rejected, but here's one final test God's going to give him. Will you actually destroy, in obedience to my command, all the Amalekites? Hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord, that is, listen intently, carefully, constantly hearing God's word to you, Saul, and be precise in your obedience. Not sloppy, but precise. I note then that divine benefits conferred require precise obedience. God anointed you king, he says, therefore listen carefully. You've received a benefit, now return in kind. Do good to God by obeying his voice who has done good to you by making you king. Jesus said, if we have been forgiven much, what will we do? Love much. And how do we love him? By keeping his commandments. That is the love of God, to keep his commandments. Verse 2, God says to Saul, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. Now it's important to understand that properly speaking, God learns nothing. He forgets nothing. He doesn't improve his knowledge. He doesn't add to his knowledge. He doesn't lose part of his knowledge. God's mind is always the same. But when God speaks to us, he uses figures of speech by which we may understand better. What do we do when we finally remember something? Well, we do it. We do something about it, right? So now God is saying, I'm going to do something about Amalek where before I have not. God is ready to take action, in other words. And what action does he say he's going to take? Well, he's going to command the king, Saul, verse 3, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. His goods and his people must be destroyed. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. This is a full destruction, typifying for us the fires of hell. The Geneva Bible notes say that this might be an example of God's vengeance against those who deal cruelly with his people. Do you remember what Amalek did? All the aged, all the children, all the infirmed were at the back of the camp. And so where did Amalek attack? At the front where the strong men were? No, they went around behind like rascals and went against the weakest of them all. And that's why God says, destroy them. So Amalek was not merely cowardly. They were impious because if you come against the people of God, who are you coming against? God himself. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me, Jesus said. Why? Was he going up into heaven to tear Jesus off of his throne and stop his priestly intercession? No. What was he doing? Hailing the disciples of Jesus, his body, into prison, calling for the death of the saints. God takes it personally. Cruelty, then, to God's people is an aggravated sin, God is our protector, especially of the weak among his people. And therefore, let us love those that God loves. Let us protect the weak among the saints. Now, you might say, but didn't he say to destroy the weak here? Even the sucklings? Yes, of course he did. Are those his saints? Are the Amalekites God's people, united to him by faith, submitting to his will? Of course they aren't. They weren't chosen by God. These were the descendants of Esau, and they hated the people of God. Saul makes good preparation. Verse 4 tells us 200,000 footmen, 10,000 from Judah. This is a good beginning, warlike preparations. And notice verse 6, the clemency of Saul. Saul said unto the Kenites, go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. He preserves those who are not guilty of the wickedness of Amalek. He also says, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. Now, God didn't say this to Saul, but this is the teaching of Scripture. Saul has reasoned from the Scriptures. Well, I remember this is what they did to us, and God's telling me to destroy them, the Amalekites, but what did the Kenites do? Well, they came out to help, didn't they? In fact, in Numbers chapter 10, we find out that Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, was the eyes of Israel. He scouted out the land on their behalf. Jethro, or Ruel, as he is called, Moses' father-in-law, came to instruct in the civil government in Exodus 18 on behalf of Israel. They did much good to the people of God. So Saul is correct, and God teaches us to return good for good. In fact, God teaches us to return good for evil. But he commands us never to do what? To return evil for good that we've received. And so Saul is to be commended in this. Saul has success in verses 7 through 9, but he partially executes his commission. Verse 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. Three points in his favor so far, right? Large preparations for war, 200,000 men and 10 from Judah, 10,000 from Judah. He preserves the innocent, that is the Kenites. And he has a forceful victory and destruction. All these are very good. But note verse 8. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now kings are vain, as we all are. And often they will spare those of their similar rank. Well, he is the king after all, so maybe for vanity's sake. Maybe he hoped to get some bribe from him, a ransom for his life. Perhaps he feared reprisal from the other kings of the nations around. Who knows? But did it really matter? Hadn't God told him very clearly? That if you're to destroy the genus, that is, all the Amalekites, shouldn't you destroy the species, the king, as well as the common people? Stands to reason, doesn't it? But he didn't. He took Agag the king alive. He did not listen carefully to the word of God. Do you remember what Samuel said? Listen carefully. Hearken unto the voice of... Of the words of the Lord. And Saul said, Nah, yeah, I'll mostly do it, but that part, I'm not doing that. He spared Agag, and notice there in verse 9, to whom does it attribute the sparing of the flocks? And Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings. Saul. End the people. You notice it didn't just say the people, right? Because when a magistrate sees his people do something that is wicked, what is he supposed to do? Correct them. He used to say, No, 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 no. God said destroy them all. And what did he say? Well, I spared Agag. What's a couple of sheep? There is a false compassion condemned by the Bible. In fact, the word spared, he spared Agag and the best of the sheep, it means to have compassion, to have some pity. He pitied these poor sheep and this poor king, so he spared them. God says, to listen to me is better than to follow your heart, your pity, your compassion, whatever you think is good and right. We must learn to discern the difference between what we feel and what God commands, because they're not always the same thing. Should our affections be in line with what God commands very good? Should our affections say, ah, I don't know about doing what God says. It's not the best thing for me and my family. It's not in my best interest, so I'm not going to obey him now. No. No. We must learn to have God's justice and God's compassion and not our own. Some pity requires us to disobey God and therefore we ought not to have such pity. Oh, that poor murderer. What does God say? Thine eye shall not pity him. Don't spare him. Don't keep him alive. Put him to death. Oh, but everything that was vile and refuse, all the garbage and trash, well, we just destroyed all that. Aren't we good? Verse 9. This seemed good in their own eyes. It was dictated by their notions of good and evil, not God's. Then we have Saul's hypocrisy uncovered by Samuel and sentence passed against him. Verses 10 through 31. It repenteth me that I have set Saul up to be king." Again, God's mind does not change. But as when men repent, what do they do? Well, they do different things. They change their conduct. God made Saul king. He's now changing his conduct, as we will see in chapter 16. God repents, according to scripture, not according to the affections of his mind, but the effect of his action. Per effectum we say, not per affectum. The movement of his mind is not changed. The actual external act is what changes, as when a man repents himself, a figure of speech. Notice, Saul turned his back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Turning back from following the Lord is identical with disobedience. When the Bible says someone turned their back on God, what it means is they stopped listening to him and doing his commandments. That's what that means. Saul turned his back. Some people want some kind of mystic communion with God. Oh, I'm going to practice his presence. Well, what has he commanded you to do? That's how you know if you have communion with God. Do you believe what he promises? Do you obey what he commands? It's that simple. He turned his back, and hath not performed my commandments. Do you perform the commandments of God, or are you merely in search of a specific complex of feelings or experiences? Because God has a standard by which you may know whether you commune with the true God or a figment of your imagination, and that is his word. That's how you can tell the difference. Now this grieved Samuel to hear of Saul's rejection. In fact, it burned him up is literally what that means. It vexed him. It angered him. But notice Samuel's an example for us. How did he handle his vexation and his anger? He cried unto the Lord all night. He poured out his soul in prayer. Let us learn to handle our anger in the same manner. Let us watch Unto prayer, let us pray without ceasing. Let us be grieved, yes, at men's disobedience and the misery that they bring upon themselves and others, but let us learn after Samuel's example to watch unto prayer. Then verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now notice here, Saul has no awareness of what God actually said, does he? He has a notion in his mind of what God should have said, and that what he should have said, Saul has obeyed, right? I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Now what did God actually say? Not what Saul wished he would have said. What did he actually say? And did he obey what God actually said? This is the destruction of many a Christian, of many a church, and even of nations. Well, I will obey what I wish God would have said. Not what he actually said. God in my image, God who makes sense to me, who is suitable to my tastes and my notions of good and evil and truth and error, all obey that God, but not the one who actually spoke. No. I'm not going to obey him. Let us learn God's commandments. Let us strive to be precise in our obedience because you know how we humble ourselves? (laughs) Well, we realize how sinful we are, don't we? And how do we realize how sinful we are? By making a law of God in our own image, according to our sinful capacity and desires. Is that how we learn to humble ourselves? No, God requires perfect obedience all the time to all of his commandments in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Have you ever tried that? Because it is painful, it is humbling. It makes us recognize, no, I actually haven't obeyed the word of the Lord. What does Saul say? I've done everything required of me. Let us learn God's commandments, strive to be precise in our obedience, know in light of God's law our sins, repent when we fall, pray against temptation, and be humbled as we come again and again to the foot of the cross. Now notice verse 14, Samuel in his wisdom, as we've seen him before, asks some questions. Samuel said, "What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you did what God said, where would these beasts be? They'd be dead, wouldn't they? How can an animal bleat when it's dead? How can the oxen low? Ooh, are they going to do that when they're dead? Of course not." So you have left alive what God told you to kill. That's the point. These are rhetorical questions. Now notice verse 15, Saul said what? I? Notice what he says. Because God said Saul and the people, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs. So who did this? They did. They have brought them from the Amalekites, he says, verse 15. And notice, we're holy people. Why did we take these things that God said to destroy? Well, see, we were going to church, and we were going to offer them as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that holy? Look at those good intentions. Couldn't the church use some more money? Couldn't the priests of the Lord have some extra oxen that they could feast or sell in the shambles? Wouldn't that be delightful if we could just puff up the church's bank account a little bit? Does God want it? No, he says. But here, Saul, in his pious disobedience, not performing what God commanded, but God in his own image, the God of his own imagination... Let us learn to reject such pious disobedience. It is not pious, it's just disobedience. And notice, God comes back again through his prophet when thou wast little in thine own sight. Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Don't you see, Saul? Your sin is aggravated. Look how small you used to think of yourself. And now, what do you think of yourself? You have exalted yourself up to heaven. You think you're a great man who obeys the Lord, but your sin is aggravated. God said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed, verse 18. And God expected what? Precision. What exactly did I say? What did you do? Let's compare the two. That's what God is saying. But... Thou didst fly upon the spoil as covetous men do. Verse 19, note, God evaluates their pious sins in a very different way from their own, didn't they? Here, well, we obeyed and we wanted to sacrifice to God. And so, yeah, we didn't exactly do what God told us to, but we had good intentions and we were loving God. And yeah, we got rid of all the Amalekites except for one. So we're doing pretty well. And God says, what? No, you're covetous. You wanted things for yourself. You flied upon the spoil. Remember Achan when God put all those things under the ban? What did Achan do? He justified it in his mind. Well, some wedges of gold and a few Babylonish garments. It's no problem, is it? Yes, it is. It's a huge problem. God evaluates our pious sins very differently than we evaluate our own. We may refer to certain things in our conduct as virtues which God calls sins. Who's right? Are we right or is God right? Yea, he says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's impudent, he cannot be corrected. He fights against the truth. This is the nature of Saul's black chain of reprobation. When we see our sins as our virtues, when we're corrected by the word of God, and we say, no, 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 I actually did what he said. He condemns others, he justifies himself, and where does this get him? Groveling at the feet of a witch on his way to hell, that's where it gets him. The people, they took of the spoil, again he says, verse 21, The chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord. Notice here's a concession. Yeah, we should have destroyed them, but, you know, we had good intentions. We meant well, so our disobedience, it's fine. And notice God's sentence. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does God want your free will offerings when you won't actually even do the basic commandments of a known precept? You will not do that. But here you are offering up to God, and God says, Enough, I don't want it. I'm not interested in your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. I said, Obey my voice. God does not have as great delight. In these offerings of sacrifice, as in obeying his voice, the weightier matters must be preferred before the lesser matters of the law. A pretense of piety cannot justify disobeying God's known will. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. Here is the life of the law, the reason of the law. You have all these precepts about worship and free will offerings. Then you have the moral precepts that require that I listen carefully to the word of the Lord. Which one's more important? Coming before God's courts, trampling upon them with blood on your hands, as Isaiah says in chapter 1. God hates your new moons and Sabbaths, he said to the people of Israel. Why? Well, because they violated the sixth commandment of the moral law while keeping all the ceremonies of the law with incense and sacrifice and new moon and Sabbath. God said, away with it. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Let us be careful hearers of the word of God and precise doers of the word of God, making no excuses for sloppy obedience for our pious disobedience and good intentions. Rebellion, he says, is as the sin of witchcraft, which is where Saul will end up. They're related sins because both say, I will not submit to you. I will not come under your law. Stubbornness, Samuel says, is as iniquity and idolatry. This word stubbornness means to push back. You ever pushed back on someone? Your kids ever push back on you? You Tell them to do something, what do they do? No. Push back on you. What is that? Stubbornness. What does God say about stubbornness? It's like iniquity and what? Idolatry. Teraphim. Insolence and pushing back against the commandments of God is like making graven images of your ancestors, setting them up in your house and bowing before them. That's what the teraphim were. God hates it. These are the vanities of the Gentiles. And notice the judgment, the sentence comes forth on his stubbornness and rebellion. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord what? He hath also rejected thee from being king. Let us receive the word of God, not reject it, and God will receive us. If we reject the will of God made known to us in his word, what will God do to us? He will reject us, cast us out as an unclean thing. And here note, There is some form of regret. Verse 24, I have sinned. Truer words were never spoken by Saul. Yes, he had sinned. But notice, did he speak these words sincerely? Did he actually humble himself and go back and kill all those animals? Did he go and kill Agag? No. Who had to do that? Samuel had to go and do it. The old man Samuel had to hew Agag in pieces. Oh, I've sinned, but I'm not going to do what God said still. In fact, yeah, I've I've transgressed God's mouth or his commandment, verse 24. But look, turn again with me that I may go and worship. What kind of worship is he going to offer? You know what he's going to do? He's going to take those saved animals doomed by God to destruction. And what's he going to do with them? He's still going to do what he wants. He's still going to offer his worship that God forbade him and condemned in him and he has not learned his lesson. No, I'm going to go on in my disobedience and you better come with me, please. Yeah, I sinned. Okay, I transgressed God's word, but I'm not going to change my ways. And I want you to approve of it by being there for the ceremonies. Turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. Let us learn to actually do what God commands us when we repent. That's part of it. Okay, I sinned in this thing. It's displeasing to God. His commandment says to do otherwise. Now, what should I do next? Renew Our commitment to obey and strive to obey the very commandment that we have broken. New obedience. Does Saul want to renew his commitment to obey the commandment of the Lord? No. Oh yeah, I've transgressed. That's fine. Okay, yeah, I violated. Okay, let's get this over with. Check the box. Yes, I sinned. Okay, now let's go and do my more disobedience, please. Come on. Turn with me. Samuel wisely turns himself about to go away. That's what he should have done, right? Go away from this trash. Don't be part of this. Don't countenance it. That means don't put your face of approval on it. Don't act like it's okay. Saul lays hold on him and tears his garment, and God says, that's good, because I've torn the kingdom out of your hands. I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Samuel turns to go away. Saul lays hold on the skirt of his mantle and tears it. And the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou, David, king of Israel. God's not going to lie to you. The strength of Israel will not repent. He's not a man that he should repent. He's no deceiver. If he foretells things yet future, you can write it down. They will most certainly come to pass. God's mind is ever the same. No additions, no subtractions, no lies, no improvements, no repentance. What do we need? Do we need additions to our minds? Yes. Do we need repentance from our sins? Of course. Do we need to change our minds for the better? Yes. Do we often change our minds for the worse by forgetting? Yes. We're men. We're sinners. God is not so. I have sinned again, Saul says, verse 30. Yet, what? Let's go kill all those animals. Is that what he says? No. I still want my stuff. Come on. I still need to be honored as a king. I want you to go in front of the elders and the people of Israel and show some respect for me. I'm the king after all. No real sense of his sin. Though the words of confession were parroted, you know, a parrot, they can say what you say. Do they understand what you're saying? No, they just say it. He can parrot the words, pretty bird. He can say that. I've sinned, sure. Is he going to repent? Is he going to see the real depth of his sin, turn from it to God? And is he going to begin anew to obey the Lord? Let us be grieved over our sin. Let us realize what we deserve, which is death and hell. And then let us see the magnitude of our debt and love much by obeying God's commandments, turning from those very sins we repent of to the very obedience that we have violated. And Samuel does, in fact, turn again after Saul out of respect, you might say, for his office, though not for his person. And notice Samuel does not participate in the worship. He's there. You got him halfway. He's going to be there while you do it. But who worships? Saul does. Saul worshiped the Lord. Then we have the hewing of Agag and the final farewell to Saul by Samuel, verses 32 through 35. As the sword of Agag made women childless so his mother would be childless. Samuel hews Agag in pieces before the Lord as a magistrate to punish them that do evil and praise them that do well. Agag is done. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. This was the last meeting they ever had and the Lord, it says, repented that he made Saul king over Israel. And this segues very nicely into chapter 16, where the action of God is to do what? To anoint a replacement, even David.